Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Scott San Emeterio, CEO and founder at Ball Street Trading. Scott, super excited to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this one, Rob. It's great to be here. So we recently connected on LinkedIn because of the stuff I'm doing in the world of sports betting. More specifically, I'm hosting the Sharp 600 Sports Betting Podcast for Covers.com. If you dig sports betting, give it a listen. You hit me up and said, hey, let's jam. We jumped on a call, vibed, and here we are now. I love it. I mean, LinkedIn is one of those things that unless people are using it, I don't think they can really appreciate how powerful that tool is right now. LinkedIn is by far the most superior social media uh, available to anyone, whether it's professional or just looking to make a stronger network. 100% for me, I am doing almost exclusively my business development and relationship building on LinkedIn because it allows me to connect with someone like you and we can get to the meat of the substance very quickly, which can be a little bit more difficult to do on some of the other platforms. It's like, boom, I know what you're working on. We jump on a call, we're quick and to the point and it allowed us to accelerate this relationship pretty quickly. So what I wanted to talk about today is the world of sports betting and what we're gonna do is relate it to um, how this relates to everyday success because you've got a unique background in online poker, trading, sports betting now with what you're working on now and I've got a lot of similar backgrounds and we wanna talk about what's going on in the world of sports betting from an opportunity standpoint, education and community building, but also how you can take our mindsets around it to be successful now. Sound good? Sounds great. So let's start with this. The opportunity in the sports betting market, and I am so bullish on it, obviously, because it's gonna become regulated in states as we speak and across the next three years. And because of this, it's gonna be a land grab from brands on a variety of areas, all the way from the operators at the top, the DraftKings, FanDuel's, and William Hill's, then down one level, the content providers and the analytics platforms. So the covers.com, the action networks, the roto grinders, the, the companies that are there to help you become a more informed better. And then you're gonna have a variety of offshoots from the operators and everything in between. And you live somewhere in that world right there. And I'm curious how you see the opportunity of sports betting because you're obviously in it. Yeah, when I, you know, when PASPA went down last year, we've seen now a good year post that where we've, we've experienced this consolidation at, at, up top. And basically, you have all of these companies trying to take advantage of licenses and user data. So you have the DraftKings of the world making those relationships and taking those partnerships so they can then leverage their ability to go state by state. I mean, I think when we look more longer term, three to five years, the rollout of sports gambling um, is going to take some time. Uh, I think the real value in all of this is when we think about sports gambling, it is simply fan engagement. Right? It's one aspect for which fans get to really immerse themselves and be a part of an event or be a part of that specific game. And I think if we think about that in terms of not just gambling in the conventional sports book mantra, and we think about that as how can we affect the fan at the stadium? How can we affect the fan on their couch who doesn't want to bet on the game but still wants to experience that feeling of betting on a game? I'm admittedly not a huge sports better. That being said, when I do bet, 
it's probably because I'm with a bunch of buddies and we're having a great time. And it's awesome. It definitely makes the game better. Um, so if we can create those type of experiences outside of the sports book, I really see that as the true value that will come out of this post-passable world. It's going to take a little time to get there. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it's going to go slow, but I, I really think that that is going to be where people are going to find the next big thing. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I love so many things that you say. And one thing that I'm positioning Bacon Sports with is being a creative or marketing agency for brands that want to engage the sports better. So as I look at the market right now, these traditional agencies, they can say that we can do fan engagement. But here's the thing, as someone who bets on sports and plays fantasy sports, and loves all things sports, they've got these brands have to be able to speak the language of a sports better and do it in a way that just isn't buy what I'm selling, buy what I'm selling. You've got to be able to integrate yourself in a very native way. And it's why I'm so, um, I emphasize so much community building. And I think that when I look at the sports betting landscape as a whole, the big opportunities on the marketing side and the brand side is on community building because sports betting as a whole has a shady connotation because of the way that it used to be one 900 tout. Here's my 5,000 star whale play of the year on week one. And you're like, who is this jabroni? And that's not the way that it works. And the, the traditional marketing world wasn't really the way that, these brands have built themselves. It's more on noise and loudness. And I really see that um, as this market matures, it's going to be less the super diehard sports fan and more the casual fan. Like you said, you're kicking it with your friends at a bachelor party or a Cubs game. And you're like, you know what? I want to throw a few jelly beans on the game to have some fun. And it's going to allow this casual nature. So now you say, how do we appeal to the casual fan who may have some fantasy football teams and just wants to go to the Bears game and have some fun on it? And that's the opportunity that I see. And from the marketing standpoint, I want to help be that bridge between brands and sports fans. It's, it's exactly that. It's the entertainment and engagement of what gambling or gaming brings. I think when we're coming from this pre-PASPA world, we have the Nevada sports book mentality where it's us versus the casino, right? So the casino and at least the gaming community, in my opinion, the operators all the way at the top sort of take this almost predatory stance that we have to give these bad lines or cut the amount that you can actually bet on a game. Instead of creating more of an entertainment experience to where those fans who want to come in for five, 10, 20 bucks just to have a little action in the experience, that doesn't seem to exist just yet. I don't see it. I certainly don't see it coming through what the products that are being offered now in New Jersey as each of these new states roll out. It seems to be, as you said earlier, just a huge land grab. These operators are playing a lot of defense, defending their side of the hill. I get it. They need their footprint for what ultimately will eventually come potentially from a federal framework. But at the end of the day, if we look at what makes gambling work, it's the experience and the fun and entertainment that it brings to the addition of watching the game. And the hope is that we'll be able to see a lot of these ideas begin to roll out over the next three to five years that those casual fans can get some of that experience without the, I don't even want to call it the seediness or some of the moral hazard that people want to throw onto to gaming. Um, in time, that will begin to 
dilute itself and wash itself away, we're already starting to see some of these brands like Fox and ABC start to become gaming adjacent. And I think that is really the beginning where people are going to look to to say what changed everything. It's going to be those types of companies, those types of brands that change the narrative on what sports gaming is. Because, you know, if you go into a, a, a sports book on a Tuesday night in August, that's not a great place. But if you're there on the Super Bowl or you're there on the Final Four weekend, there's no better place to watch sports. So we need to figure out what are those aspects of those great tentpole events and how do we create them all year round? Yeah, and really that comes down to relatability. And I think that, as you mentioned, you have a perfect example going there on a Tuesday at nine o'clock and you're like, man, this is gross. But then the complete opposite would be true if you're there for the Kentucky Derby or March Madness. Yep. And you can give someone that experience from home on a Tuesday at nine o'clock because for anybody who's watching a game and there's a potential for a backdoor cover or the last second, I mean, look at how many sporting events we've seen that come down to uh, a play or a referee call at the end. That's the experience. So the experience is there. So the opportunity for brands is it's like, all right, we know that this experience is there. Now, how do we associate ourselves with it? in a way that is just native and on brand. And I think even though there's a land grab, this has to be a long-term mindset for these brands because you can't expect a casual fan who's never heard of William Hill before to know that they're a gigantic sports betting property. So that's where this land grab is coming from. So instead, I like to think, all right, so can you start to bring this down to them and, and look at what the fantasy sports world has done that – Fantasy sports now has like its own TV shows on Sundays. 10 years ago, that was not the case. And sports betting, I don't think can just be about picks. And, and I'm learning this as the host of the Sharp 600 because picks come and go, you win and you lose. And a brand, I don't believe, can be built on that because it's a very hard model. Uh, as we know, I think you need 52.7% winners in order to hit a yeah. positive ROI. So if that's the number that we're looking for, you say, listen, sure, we're going to do the best that we can to help give you picks and make you an informed better. But at the same time, we want to help elevate your experience with this. Yeah, I think entertainment is where it's all going to always go back to. To your point exactly, you know, if you're going to need to put winning picks out there 52% of the time, is that really sustainable until the guy over at the other site says, well, we do it 54% of the time and it's just back and forth, back and forth. And there's no true value that's being added. It's just sports fans talking about who's going to win on Monday night. There's so much more to disciplined sports betting than just picking the winning team. And to the point of do, does the casual fan even care, right? They want to go and they're a Jets fan and the Jets are playing on Monday night against the Browns. They just want to put 10 bucks, 20 bucks on the Jets and, and ride that experience with the Jets. If the Jets win, this is great. They felt part of the team, part of the experience. If not, no big deal. It's just like going to the movies and spending 15 or 20 bucks like it is in Manhattan. And, and you wasted two, three hours of your life. There's really no difference other than, you know, maybe you get a chance to get that money back at the end. It's funny you say that I've got a term that I use on the podcast called rent a movie. So when there's a big game, I think a great example of this was two weeks ago, Clemson versus Texas A&M. The spread was 16 Clemson was favored by, and that's a big number. But here's the thing. It was on at three o'clock on Saturday. I wasn't going to not bet on the game because it's a high profile <laughs> game. 
But at the same time, I'm not going on the podcast being like, this is my 5,000 whale play of the week. So I'm like, you know what, guys, let's run a movie. I'm going to lay the points with Clemson. And actually, Texas A&M got a brutal backdoor cover. In the, it was fourth down on the three-yard line. They covered the last second. But that's sort of what makes it fun. What I want to talk about now is you mentioned something being disciplined at sports betting. And I think that we can take the fundamentals that you and I have and relate that to the everyday business world because really one of the hallmarks of, of how I've created my brand with this podcast is I want to help inform the sports better, but I want to help them do that via them understanding my process and the process of others. Because so often I've seen it with my friends and very much in the market in general, there's an irrationality to things. It would be like, oh man, LeBron is playing the Kings. They're going to smoke him. I'm going to put 500 bucks on the Lakers. And I'm listening to my friends say that and I'm like, holy smokes. I was like, you are completely irrational. Knowing what I know about sports betting and what goes into how you choose a winner or a loser just to say that the LeBron is going to smoke the Kings without them even knowing who De'Aaron Fox is on the Kings. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I feel like it's my duty to say, listen, I want to help share some fundamentals. And this is something I learned very early because I was very aware that even, I think I've been sports betting since when I was right out of college, so at least 15 years. I knew that sports betting was a vice and it can be a very bad thing for some people who can't control it. So I'm unlike most people where I'm an entertainment better, that I care more about the fun of the game than I do laying $500 on LeBron James. So because of that, the number one thing I did, I was like, all right, I gotta get educated. So I read a book on bankroll management. And what is bankroll management? It essentially says, all right, let's say, like if you were to go to Vegas, I've got $500 that I'm going to allocate to sports betting for this year. Whatever happens with that, you know what? I'm cool with winning or losing that money. So now you say, all right, well, is it smart to throw all $500 on LeBron over the Kings? No, of course not, because that's a losing proposition. Instead, you say you want to be disciplined as a sports better. So what the book taught me is in any single bet, you want to bet anywhere between 1% and 5% of your bankroll, never more. Why? Because you need to have a long-term thinking about this because sports betting so often can become a very emotional thing. It's a very homer thing. God knows I'm from Pittsburgh and the number of Steelers fans that I know that are like, oh, man, they're going to crush this team this week. Let's throw five honey on the Steelers. And I'm like – oh my God, and then they lose and they're like, let's double down on the four o'clock game. And then they lose and they're like, let's triple down on the Sunday night game. But here's the thing, that's a real thing. But when you look at having bankroll management, you're unemotional about it because I'm only doing one to 5%. If that bet loses, I fight to live another day. And there's no difference from an emotional swing one way or another. Yeah, as a, as a New Yorker, as a Mets fan and as a Jets fan, I don't have that issue of, of betting on my team. So <laughs> we, we certainly get, get away with that one. But bankroll management is probably the foundation that everyone really needs to understand the basics of if they genuinely want to be a profitable sports better. Um, you know, playing a lot of online poker back in the day, it was a very similar mentality where you wanted 100x your buy-in for whatever table you were going to sit at. So it's the same type of idea where, the units you're going to be playing need to be part of a broader system and you can't go and spend 
half your money or you know 100% of your money on a single bet, just the risk there is just too high. Because at the end of the day, what these bookmakers are doing, they're just managing risk. They don't care about LeBron. They don't care about the Lakers. They don't care about the Kings. They care about managing the risk that they're ultimately going to take on and bring from their customers who are going to be able to come and, and bet this specific game. So if you start looking at it from a perspective of a bookmaker and how the risk is ultimately being moved across those lines, as you watch those lines in the NFL move all week, they're moving. You might not see the fact that it went from the line might've stayed at three, but the actual spread of what you're paying, the price has been moving all week. So you need to pay attention to that. That is the single most important thing to see what the perception of the book, the perception of the public, and then make an educated decision. If you want to throw in some sports anecdotes to help you get over the hurdle, by all means do it. But the reality of the goal is not to pick the winner. The goal is to beat the line. And if you can consistently beat the line, you're going to be a profitable trader or you're going to be a profitable better. And one thing you mentioned to me before we started the podcast is that when you're disciplined in how this relates to everyday success, you make many good decisions yeah. over time. And I think a great way for me to look at this is I'm over 350 episodes into the Sports Marketing Huddle podcast. And it's like, Rob, holy smokes, how in the world do you create 350 podcasts? You know how I do it? One podcast at a time every Monday. You just keep rinsing and repeating, and it's the same mindset. So when I look at my personal development, uh, I've read for 20 to 30 minutes, first thing when I've gotten up every day for the last seven years. So I've read over 300 books by consistently doing that. And then you think about the fitness side of things. And I was like, all right, I've worked out four to five days a week for the last 13 years because it becomes a lifestyle. And then you're like, all right, well, well now becomes what's next. Because once you start building this discipline in your everyday routine, then you start to think about your relationship building and your business development and the way that you think about the business world, because you're like, all right, Every morning I sit down and I write down my power list of five things that I need to accomplish every single day because I've got discipline on there. And it's very easy and quite frankly comfortable to not be disciplined because you don't have to hold yourself accountable. But that's why it is so important because with sports betting or personal and business success, the accountability is 100% on you, which is why I highly, highly stress you need to triple down on your discipline. Absolutely. I mean, you just made the probably the, the perfect point there where you're saying you're getting up every Monday and you're doing a podcast. Each one of those individual episodes on a Monday might not change the world, might not change your life. But now you look back seven years later and you're like, I have a catalog of 350. That is an impressive feat over time. And if you can continually put those building blocks in, you get to turn around, look back to see what you've actually accomplished. And you never know what that could ultimately bring. I mean, you know, even a simple fact of doing some meditation or you said reading 20 to 30 minutes every day or you going to the gym, like those things add up. And I, I try to tell younger people, especially do it now in your twenties, build these routines. By the time you get to your thirties, you're going to be, have so much momentum from everything that you've been doing. All of those positive small decisions will ultimately create something really special. So here's a question for you. How do you build routines or how did you build routines? It's hard. I still fight and struggle with it. I'll be honest. You know, I literally look at, I do the same thing you do. I have, I'm, I'm a list person. So every day I will put a list of what I need to accomplish for that day. So for me, if I can get through that list, that is really what I'm trying to do every single 
day to, to, to sort of get to that next set of whatever responsibilities there are. Now, obviously things happen and different things will shift that priority. Um, but for me, it's about staying organized and staying as disciplined as I can to what those priorities are for that specific day. Yeah. And for me, my goal every morning is to make today better than yesterday. And I knew that if I read every day, I was smarter today than I was yesterday. And when I audited the success habits of the most successful people and CEOs, the people who I aspired to be like, you kept hearing. They read on average 65 books a year or some crazy number. And I'm like, crap. And I heard it like 50 times. And then I'm like, huh, maybe I want to adopt a habit of reading. And I think the key is there's several of them. One, no two bad days in a row. And if you think about a fitness mindset, this is a very simple thing. So often when you go, you go to the gym and you're crushing for like three weeks straight. And then all of a sudden you're like going to a bachelor party or something. You come back and you're like, man, I feel like crap on Monday. I'm not going to go. And then it's like Tuesday and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still feeling that hangover, which I call a layover. You're like, man, I'm still feeling that. And then Wednesday comes and you're like, man, but it's, it's nice outside in Chicago right now. I think I'm just going to go like, go to happy hour with my boys. And then Thursday comes and now you're out of your routine. And now you've allowed it to get past one day where one day in a row, all right, you can live having one bad day. And quite frankly, as you continue to grow for me, that number starts to get down to hours. Because when you really realize that you have the ability to determine your mindset and how you respond to situations. So even when bad and negative things happen to me and I'm really low and, and this happens just like anybody else, I get low, I have bad days, but you recognize it because there's a trigger. You're like, man, I'm having a bad day. So via the learning that I've done in personal development, I've learned that when you change your environment, you can change your mindset and your mood. So now when something bad happens, I go take a walk and I bring my notebook with me and I go and write for 20 minutes. And all of a sudden you're like, all right, boom, in two hours, I was able to flip this out of there. And if you don't have two bad days in a row, that's how you start to build routines. Yeah, you find that momentum. One of the things that uh, we were talking about LinkedIn that I try to do every single day is reach out to new people. And you can have that streak where every day people are getting back to you and you're having great conversations and you're making great relationships like you and I. Um, but certainly you have days where no one gets back to you and it's sort of like, all right, do I, you know, how do I continue to do this, you know, three, four, five days in a row where you're trying to reach out and create contacts and try to build the network out. Um, but it's one of those things you just continue to do it. And my rule with myself is I need to reach out to two people every single day, whether they respond, whether they get back to me, whether we're able to build a relationship or not, it's continue to get those reps in because eventually you're going to get the hits and the hot streaks come, you know, there will be cold streaks, but if you can be prepared for when the hot streaks come, that momentum can take you to the next level. And I think this is a great example of it because you and I did not know each other one month nope. ago. Nope, absolutely not. And it, this is just a, a perfect example of the power of, you know, I guess social media, but more specifically LinkedIn. And I think you and I probably think about things very much the same way to where we were excited to collaborate, get to hear each other's ideas and find out that we do have a lot in common. And now here we are. And to add to this, so now that you and I have connected, I think what's important, which speaks to being disciplined and the long-term nature and thinking of things is me being 350 episodes into this podcast and doing all this reading in fitness, that becomes my brand and I'm on a certain level. Then I meet someone like you, you're building Ball Street Trading. 
you've got this awesome platform, you're a like-minded high achiever. All of a sudden, you and I can have a conversation together where we see each other on the same plane. But you could have hit me up and I could have just been some regular Joe who's doing something that there's really not an opportunity for us to work together. And it's really the long-term nature and the building of these habits consistently that has allowed me to elevate my game to know where I can connect with someone like you and we can be on the same level and find a way to work together. Exactly. And, you know, I think about what we were talking about with the, you know, the acceleration and the growing sports gaming industry. Um, you know, for you and I are, are, are working through this space right now in three years, we could be on many different levels. Um, and it, these types of relationships are going to be the ones that on our peer level are going to continue to cultivate and, and rise everyone together. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see as we look back in three to five years, how simple interactions like this really created the foundation for something great. Yeah. And there's a great quote. What are you willing to do when no one else is watching? And quite frankly, that's habits and routines is the number of things that I do that people don't know about. And even though I have a podcast and I try and share as much of it <laughs> as possible, but the people aren't there when I'm doing a five minute cold shower and it's cold 100% of the time. They're not there when my alarm goes off and it's early and I walk out like a zombie. But guess what? That is the price of success. And with us working in the sports world, we very much admire these athletes. Yet I've always found it curious that we're quick to criticize when they don't do something correct. But when you look at it, they are the highest achieving, most disciplined people in the world. I always think about that too. Like I remember growing up, went to, uh, went to high school, college, never was in or around someone that made it all the way up to a professional sport. So I always asked myself, how good were they? And then how much hard work do they have to put in to get to that level? Because it's never, it's never been something that I've actually seen where I said, oh, I had a buddy, he, made, he meant to the majors, right? I've never actually seen that. So to me, it, it blows my mind that there are people that do this so much better than everyone else. And that's still not enough they then need to devote their entire lives just to have an opportunity to get to that level. And that is actually what drives me to build the world in my image, the, the seven year journey that I've been in bacon sports in the journey that you're on with ball street trading that five, 10 years from now, people are going to look back on it and they're like, Oh man, look at that overnight success. And be like, please <laughs> no idea. Like, Hey, what advice would like, you always get it. What advice would you give me? And it's like, Man, I don't think the overwhelming majority, I know the overwhelming majority of people wouldn't do this because they would be doing it otherwise. They're not willing to sacrifice and do the things and eat crap for years, not just days, weeks, months, years is what it takes to be successful. Yeah, I mean, you hear all the cliches about startup life or getting into a new business. They're all true. It is hard. There are way more down days than positive days. And this past year, we finally, with Ball Street, been, been beginning to get some nice momentum. So we finally now get to have some light shine on us as opposed to spending the last couple of years literally up every night during the week, weekends, just building this, not even knowing what actually was going to come out of all of this. Um, it, it, it's harder than it looks. Um, and, I, you know, I joke with my guys all the time that people are going to laugh and, and say, oh, you know, all of a sudden they saw a commercial, they saw an ad for us, and they say, oh, where'd you guys come from? You guys just popped up overnight. Like, no, we have been in the lab for years building this out just for the opportunity to have a conversation with someone who might be able to get us to that next level. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. And it's, it's not for everybody, but if you can be disciplined 
and know that the sacrifice ultimately will be worth it. Um, you put yourself through it and you know, you hope for the, hope for the best on some level, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's tough. And we can use this as sort of the last thing that we talk about and giving you a little insight into this. No joke. Every single day for the last seven years, my mind has not stopped on building my journey of bacon sports and everything that I'm working on. So when you hear Scott talk about working weekends and working nights, guess what? That is a very, very real thing that you mature very quickly. And, and for me, in my 20s, I was very successful at online, do, selling online advertising. And I was partying a crap ton. And then when I started Bacon Sports and I went down to zero, I quickly realized I couldn't afford to be hungover anymore. There was no such thing as like partying on Friday night and Saturday night and then hungover Sunday, hungover Monday. This is like a zero hangovers. And it doesn't mean I don't like to have fun, that I still don't get down and everything. But here's the thing. I know what my number one goal is. And I've already experienced what one life is. And now I've got completely other goals. And because of this, I don't want to use the word obsessed, but is this thing in your brain that never stops. And that's where I don't, and it's not workaholic either because this is what we love to do. And I think a lot of the negative perception comes on people who hate what they're doing. And it's the exact opposite because you have to be crazy in love with what you're doing to do what we're doing as often as we do. Yeah, my brain is always on Wall Street 24-7. There's not literally an hour that goes by that I'm not sitting there plotting, thinking, figuring out how we can do things differently, how we can do things better. And over time, it becomes all-consuming. And you know, the word obsessed, I think, sometimes has a negative connotation. But if you're not willing to, to literally sacrifice all of you, and, and like social life is like one of the first things that go out the window. Like, and people at the beginning don't necessarily understand. And now maybe we're getting to a point where people start to look at the app a little bit differently and saying, Oh, all right, this is actually starting to become something real. I get it. Um, but also the same point, I still have people who say it's Sunday. Can you come over and have a bar? I'm like, no, it's Sunday. It's NFL season. Like it's a work day. Like we gotta be ready for anything that could happen during these markets. So we need to be prepared and, and, and ready to go. So talk to us a little bit about Ball street trading, what it is you're doing. Yeah, so we've created a real-time prediction market that lets fans buy and sell shares of their favorite teams based on win probability. This all happens while fans are watching the games themselves. Uh, the markets trade from 0 to 100. The shares of the winning teams will expire at 100. Shares of the losing teams will expire at 0. So basically what we've done is we've taken what I think everyone assumes to be in-game betting or real-time markets, and we've actually created a contest around that and allowed the buyers and the sellers i.e. all of the fans in the market, to define what that price is. We've really tried to come at this from a, a video game perspective. We want to make this as approachable and fun as possible. Our focus is on engagement and entertainment. So our goal going forward is to try to bring as many fans who think they might enjoy an experience like this. We want this to be a compliment and a partner while you're watching a game um, to experience this type of competition against their friends, against the broader market. We think that when someone turns on the Yankee game and they have the decision to bet 10 bucks against DraftKings effectively, or they can come and play for free and trade against 10,000 people trading the Yankee game, we offer a much more interesting conversation than the, the simple conventional betting methods that, that are available right now. For us, it's about the free-to-play model, um, the idea of a startup getting into the 
real money space is, is really next to impossible. So for us, it's going to be all about free to play. We're looking to bring in sponsors and brands who will create the incentive through a prize pool. We're going to take the ad spend and we're going to make that the prize pool, therefore effectively allowing us to offer anywhere from five to $20 per winning player. We're going to play a flat democratic payout, usually top 10 to 20%. We'll each win $20 as an example. Um, and our focus is really going to be engagement. How can we create this experience of everyone in a community watching the game together, but also getting the opportunity to compete and pull all the best out of what we think of gambling today? I think that there's one key thing that you said, which is very lost on people who aren't knowledgeable about the sports betting world, real time. When you look at the in-game sports betting in Europe right now, I believe the majority of betting is done in sports in Europe. And I know we've got, uh, we're so early on in this process in the States. But when you think about real time, you're watching the game and you say to your friends, you're like, hey, I bet you this team can come back from right now. And you're like, I don't think so. I do. Boom. Here you go. And that's your opportunity and it's so authentic and it's so simple. And I love how this focus is around engagement because it's simple. And that's the key of all of this. It's simple and it's real time. It's engagement. It's entertainment. I think when you look at the European model, the, I think we get a little bit lost in that, in that statistics. I've certainly heard it before. But when you look at the European bettors, they're probably betting on soccer. So they don't need to have a real-time market with two runners on in the third inning, right? It's, it's one nothing Tottenham and nothing's really gonna happen until the next goal. Maybe a corner kick moves the price a little bit depending on where we are in the game. I think for the US, um, the idea of in play, at least what DraftKings and FanDuel's of the world are pushing out there to me seems crazy in the sense of, do we really expect people to pay negative 120 on balls and strikes? Everyone's going broke. Like I think right. we need to go through a year of this quote-unquote in-play model in the States before people realize this is not sustainable. And if the operators aren't going to be the people to stand up and say this isn't sustainable, then we have a real problem because they're just going to cannibalize the people who are now looking to make 47 bets in the second half of a Monday Night Football game. This is where we start to stretch away from the entertainment side of things and we get into potential problem areas where people are just unfortunately being degenerates and wanted to get this action over and over again. But the idea that books in the U S with the latency issues from broadcast are going to be able to offer competitive lines relative to what the actual implied odds are. I don't think that's possible. Um, and I, I think it's going to take a lot of time for that to evolve itself to where we in the States can say, this is genuinely real time because if you're going to be DraftKings and you're going to, tout that you have a real-time uh, market or you're going to put real-time lines, that, that's, that's ingenuous because you're not going to have an open line 24-7. You know, there, someone's going to drive and all of a sudden, you know, there's a, a flag on the play. The markets come down and then they wait and then they put a new market up and then you make the bet and then they get five seconds to realize if they want to take your bet or not based on what's happening. They're probably five seconds ahead of you, let alone the guy who's sitting at the stadium who potentially has a run on everybody. So it's, it's this whole mess that everyone keeps touting, quote unquote, real time. I think what we do at Ball Street is unique in the sense of we don't care what's happening in the game. It's strictly the market. So the buyers and the sellers are effectively all watching this at the same time. Um, the way we've done the algorithm is we've diluted that latency issue to where if you're a player who happens to be at Yankee Stadium watching the home run versus the player versus the player who's watching it on the Yes Network in New York versus the person who's watching it on a stream in Florida, you're effectively going to get the same price because we've created this broader contest. It's not about one specific 
decision. It's about the collection of many decisions over the course of the game that will give you the success in our platform. And if you want more insight into all of this, I recommend checking out a book by Ed Miller called, I believe it's The Logic of Betting, which I just finished reading. If you want to go from zero to knowledgeable about the sports betting landscape, this is the book for you. And, And Scott, as we end this, you know what I hope for? You mentioned that the focus is on engagement. You're looking for sponsors and brands. I want to be able to work with you because I know that there's so many opportunities for us to create some amazing campaigns that can help elevate brands and really get that connection to them in the sports fan. So where can everybody connect with you? So if they want to check out the app, uh, ballstreettrading.com, you can get some background there, see exactly what it's about. We are available on both the app store and Google play. Uh, as far as reaching out to us, uh, Twitter handle is at Ball Street CEO for myself and the company Twitter handle is at Ball Street app. Engage certainly during the live games, especially when we have live markets. So feel to, to follow, reach out, ask questions, jump on the app and let us know what you like and certainly let us know what you don't like. We're just here trying to make this thing better every day. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. Are you a sports better? If so, are you disciplined? What do you think about sports betting? Do you have questions about how to build habits and routines or tips that you can share? Anything awesome that gets sent in, I will share with others. You can hit me up on all social media platforms at Rob Cressy or drop me a line, rob at baconsports.com. Maybe that was money. Tell me that wasn't money. As always... Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Sports Marketing Huddle, the number one thing you can do to support us is tell your friends about it. We believe in organic growth, and if you get value out of the free podcast we deliver, then we'd appreciate if you share on social media. If you're looking for some creative sports marketing resources, you can sign up for my newsletter at robcressy.com. I drop bite-sized nuggets of wisdom to get your juices flowing. 